Welcome back to the Meet the Investigators podcast from the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. I'm your host, Sean McGoey, and this month we're talking to a Slovenian reporter who's done just about everything that you can do in the world of journalism. Hi, my name is Anushka Dilic. I have many titles, founder, director, editor-in-chief, reporter, mentor, administrator, and probably something else in between. Here's the rest of my chat with Anushka Delic. How did you end up becoming an investigative journalist? I went to college in Slovenia, but before that I spent uh, more than four years uh, in New York. And soon after 9-11, I left to return back to Ljubljana, uh, where then the following year I started uh, studying journalism with people much younger than me. And so, yeah, I'm a late bloomer. And actually coming into investigative journalism was not really my trajectory. I uh, had more interest in foreign policy. Then while I was working at Dela, the main daily newspaper here in Slovenia, probably was still a student then. I stumbled on a story about asbestos in um, uh, rail infrastructure. There's two types of asbestos, the soft and the hard one. And this was a problem with the soft one, which is much more um, lethal um, as it ages. It's basically the kind that was installed in the Twin Towers as insulation. And it drew me in and I could never look back again, basically. I kind of just taught myself in the skills and the methods because I didn't really have um, many colleagues um, at the paper that uh, were investigating a lot. The investigative journalism is still not a thing, quote unquote, in Slovenian newsrooms. Is there a particular journalistic skill that you've developed that you look back on your early career and wish you had when you were getting started? I just would spend less time now on unimportant things. Now it's easier for me to see, in most cases, the point of a story. (laughs) But, you know, then I was just kind of trying to wrap my brain around what I'm doing. Although it was my first investigation, it just uh, solidified basically in me uh, a feeling that in every journalist always has to do their own independent research before going to speak to anyone, especially if they're experts. And that's something that maybe people are told in college in in passing, but it is something that you kind of need to understand when you're going in early on, and then it stays with you. And why is that front-end research so important for journalists who are consulting with expert sources? research has to be done to a certain stage where a reporter can independently say, okay, I think the story is here and this is why. And when that reporter goes to an expert, he or she will be able to put forward questions that are meaningful to that particular angle problem issue that the reporter has uncovered. I see a lot of young reporters, they just go sort of almost blind call, you know, people, they can be sold anything. Because they don't have their own pre-existing and independently sort of gathered knowledge of the topic. So it's very easy to send them in the wrong direction, you know, maybe if the if the source is adverse and the journalist has not even done that the work necessary to understand that maybe he or she should be tactical when speaking to to that person, you know. 
it's the mother of any investigation. You need to do your own research. Um, and you can't just fall back on stuff that other people bring you because that's not journalism. Can you tell me about how you uncovered ties between SDS, a right-wing political party in Slovenia, and a prominent neo-Nazi organization? I was actually investigating uh, three newspapers that this party was publishing in, in an election year, and that later turned to be an illegal uh, election campaign, basically, because in Slovenia, parties can lead one uh, the election campaign for one month. And this was started in the beginning of the election year. And I actually came across a piece of information during that investigation that basically the leaders of the worldwide neo-Nazi organization Blood and Honor in Slovenia were actively involved in the election campaign of the uh, party SDS that is actually today the uh, ruling party. Anushka said that although her investigation took place all the way back in 2011, the relationship between SDS and neo-Nazi groups persists even today. There was a peaceful anti-governmental protest when a group of people wearing yellow vests and pretending to be you know, the, the movement came and had their pro-governmental rally. Uh, and one of them also zigheiled in the middle of Ljubljana in 2020. Yes, that happened just a year ago. And actually, the group of yellow vests was uh, quite populated with the highest people in neo-Nazi structures in Slovenia. That investigation led to Slovenia's National Intelligence Agency prosecuting Anushka for publishing classified information, something that could have landed her in prison for up to three years. But it turned out that that wasn't the case. And not only were the charges dropped, but her case paved the way for a new law that would protect journalists and their sources in matters of public interest. What was it like being taken to court for what ultimately proved to be unfounded accusations? There's a picture of me from one of the first trials where I look really happy in front of the court. <laughs> I, keep, I keep going back to that picture and how it could be misconstrued that this is something that I'm enjoying. But to me, it was just so bizarre because they were saying that I have gotten information from the National Intelligence Agency for the series of stories that only the agency had. But I showed to them that, you know, just a business register also had that information uh, or that it was freely available online or so on, so on. They ascribed all of my journalistic research to their own information. And the craziest thing was that when the process did start in court, the prosecution had to file their proof. And the proof that they filed was 500 plus pages of highly classified documents on neo-Nazis in Slovenia. That was quite an interesting read, I have to say. Um, I reread it many times. I'm not allowed to talk about it because of the law on classified information in Slovenia. But I'm pretty sure I can comment that, you know, they really didn't do such a good job considering all the skills that they had. So regardless of the fact that they did ruin three years of my life, regardless of the fact that, you know, when they decided to prosecute me, although they did have official data that I live at a different address than my mother, they first went to my mother just to scare her. So regardless of all this, I, I feel that I did something good. 
A few years after the Blood and Honor investigation, Anushka's reporting took on a more international flavor. She and her colleagues at Delo won Slovenia's highest journalism award for their work on the Panama Papers, and at the same time she was embarking on another ambitious project. Members of European Parliament receive a professional allowance on top of their salary, and Anushka wanted to bring together investigative reporters from all over Europe to learn how the MEPs were spending those allowances. Yeah, you didn't mention that I was pregnant also. My son was born two weeks before uh, Panama Papers. Yeah, so it was uh, the MEP's project, my pregnancy and Panama Papers. So it was quite a lot, <laughs> as you can imagine. That project, that was also the result of a like momentary inspiration during a, a chat just with uh, my very good colleague and, and data journalism guru. Nils Mulvat from Denmark. We were just talking about the freedom of uh, information request that I filed uh, with the European Parliament to get data on how our MEPs spend their allowances. And I received a rejection and I was just going off on it. And eventually that anger grew into an idea, you know, I should just get journalists from all EU member states to ask for the, the same thing. And we should just demand this in the name basically of all European member states. That eventually went to European Court of Justice. However, the European Court of Justice decided to side with the European Parliament in saying that data on how members of the European Parliament spend allowances that they receive exclusively for their professional duties are their private data. It's still an open sore on transparency of public spending of the European Parliament, and not only the Parliament, actually also the Commission, the European Court of Justice, etc., etc., because all of these officials also receive allowances for their professional duties. And so I presume that should they not side it with the European Parliament, probably there would be some journalists somewhere down the line that would demand their own data on spending the allowances. The MEP's project led to Politico naming Anushka one of the 28 people shaping, shaking, and stirring Europe for 2018. Then she set out to start her own investigative newsroom, Ostro. She said that after over a dozen years at Delo, she had outgrown the paper, and maybe other news organizations as well. I realized that if I go to any other media outlet in Slovenia, I will eventually be in the same position where I would be ostracized for working too much, but publishing too little because I'm an investigative journalist. Um, and so for me, it was basically a decision between leaving the business or starting something on my own to do journalism in line with the highest professional standards that we can muster. So that was basically the drive behind Ostro and um, the fact that today we're three years and a few months old, I count as an achievement because we almost didn't make it last year. So yeah, it's been uh, quite a roller coaster ride. When you say that you almost didn't make it last year, was that primarily due to the pandemic or were there other forces involved as well? For Ostro, it was not just the pandemic, it was also change of government, where the previous government dissolved itself <laughs> in January. And um, through political calculations, the party SDS that we have mentioned several times is now leading the government. 
we applied um, the previous year, so 2019, uh, for some funds that the Ministry of Culture in Slovenia gives for co-financing of media content. And we applied with a quite complex project. And the Ministry of Culture decided not to co-finance us because, and I quote, our content is unoriginal. That for us was uh, basically a decision that we got literally just days into the beginning of the epidemic in Slovenia. And it also pertained to about a third of the budget that we had in 2019. And so because of the pandemic, uh, needs in the nonprofit journalism sector have gone up, you know, overnight for everyone. But we coming from a small, uh, usually uninteresting country, unless we have a migrant crisis on our doorstep or Melania Trump in the White House, we don't really matter that much. Right now, Europe is giving us a lot of attention because of the unruly ways of our prime minister. Um, but usually we don't get attention. And so it was very, very hard for us to break through. I, I believe we filed about 15 uh, proposals in six months. And eventually we, we, we made it through. We're alive. <laughs> but I have to admit that end of last summer, I was not that sure uh, that we will be able to make it. I had to refocus a lot of my efforts on to just making sure that we survive. But hopefully this year we will be able to create basically the situation that we need in order to be a little more stable going forward. How do you manage your stress levels and stay relaxed when you're working on a big story? Well, one thing I did just a few months ago, I forbade work on weekends and holidays for everyone. Um, except students, they, can, they have their own schedules and they can work it out. But for the core team... Uh, first, I started on me, so I started forbidding myself uh, to work over the weekend. It looked like it's working. <laughs> like I, I actually can start the next week, you know, a little, at least a little more relaxed. However, I'm not there yet. I do yoga as much as possible, at least a couple of times uh, per week. And I like listening to music and sitting around, uh, maybe having a glass of Prosecco. But mostly I spend that time with my family because I do not see my son enough. And that is still uh, quite a challenge. Uh, and so I try to really keep my free time uh, reserved um, for, for, for family. If you weren't a journalist, what do you think you'd be doing? probably be a chef but the like the Gordon Ramsay kind that curses every third word in a sentence I don't know I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing but I am counting on leaving the profession one day and whatever the next it thing in food is going to be I'm going to have a small thing with five tables and I'm going to leave investigative journalism to cook food and to eat it in peace because that's something that doesn't happen often now what are you looking forward to later this year and into 2022 if all goes to plan, there will be two Ostros by the end of this year. One in Ljubljana, Slovenia, and another one in Zagreb, Croatia. And you are the first person publicly I'm telling this to. And finally, what's the number one piece of advice you would give to aspiring journalists? Doubt everyone, including yourself. So we have a, a little bit of a brutal uh, editorial process at Ostro because we like to make sure that we put out things that are as professional and ethical as possible. And we did have a stupid mistake at the beginning of our fact-checking project that basically was due on someone trusting me in the middle of the night when we were working on the story, you know. That's when I started telling them and, you know, also myself basically that they have to doubt everything they see and go verify it. And that includes me.
you should still fact check me because especially nowadays when we're so overwhelmed and stressed out and there's just too many things to do in each day, it's easy for things to get lost, to overlook stuff. So having this sort of culture of it being okay that there is constructive critique within the team, I think that's very important. That's a perfect place to end. Thanks so much for talking with me, Anushka. Thank you, Sean. That was my chat with Anushka Delich. Thanks again to her and to all the journalists who share their stories here on the award-winning Meet the Investigators podcast. We'd appreciate it if you shared this episode on social media using the hashtag Meet the Investigators and send your feedback to social at ICIJ.org. Meet the Investigators is a production of the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sean McGoey, with help from Sheila Alechi and Hamish Bowen-Rudder. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you again soon.